welcome today, everyone. And I hope this is an amazing Father's Day weekend for all of you dads out there. Bruce Barton was an entrepreneur, politician, an author, and a, a very successful businessman in the early 1900s. He was greatly respected. But once a friend noticed that he was down and depressed, and he asked him what was wrong. Bruce Barton said, well, I feel like a miserable failure. A friend said, how can that be? You're just the opposite. Your name is a household word across the country. People literally want to model their lives after you. How can you feel like a failure? He said, well, that may all be true, but what good is it all when your son is a fool? Now, for the last six weeks, we've been studying the life of Samuel. We've called this series Odyssey of an Emerging Leader. And we've seen many different aspects of Samuel's life, how he was a tremendous success by almost anybody's measurement. Spiritually speaking, he was the leader of the nation from the time he was very young. Probably the most effective judge, and that's the name of this leaders during this particular time of Israel's history. He was probably, in many ways, the best who ever lived. He was also a transitionary figure, we've seen. He was a prophet, a priest, and a judge. He lived in this time just between the period of the judges and the time of the United Kingdom. He really brought the nation of Israel into a period of prosperity. And yet in spite of all of these successes in the workplace and his leadership life, Samuel was not a success as a father. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, you know, it's amazing how common that story is. It's incredible how many leaders in the Bible did a great job and yet failed to pass the baton on effectively to their children. Adam's son, Cain, grew up to be a murderer. He killed his brother Abel. David had numerous sons who turned out to be scoundrels. Jacob and Eli, the list just goes on and on. These godly men, but they had a a hard time passing the baton of faith to the next generation. And that's certainly true with spiritual leaders today. Sometimes the strongest spiritual leaders have children who rebel against their parents' faith. One of the most well-known examples of that is Franklin Graham, who for 10 solid years lived the life of a prodigal, rebelling against his father and mother's faith in God. He rejected Christ, rejected his gospel. And in reflecting on that, Billy Graham has said many times publicly when asked, Do you have any regrets? What would you do differently as you look back over your life? And he always mentions three things. 
that he would do very differently if he could do it all over again. He always says, I I would preach less and study more. He says, "I, I would be more of a man of prayer than I was. And the one he really hammers is he says, I would have been home a whole lot more and done a lot less travel. And so he kind of takes some of the responsibility on himself. Now, thankfully, all five of Graham's children today are walking with God, but it's often not the case with men and women God has used greatly. Someone was reflecting on Noah's life and said, think about it. The guy preached 120 years and only was able to save eight people. Somebody else brought perspective to that statement and said, yeah, but think about it. He did something most people never could say. He just saved eight, but by God's grace, his entire family was saved. That cannot be said of Samuel. Now, we don't know all the reasons why. The scripture is not explicit about why his sons did not walk in his ways. But in today's message on this Father's Day weekend, I want us to explore that together. And I want us to talk about some challenges that Samuel faced as a father that may have contributed to this difficulty. And I'm convinced that many of these reasons, these challenges, are very much true for dads today. Challenge number one. It may have been that Samuel struggled because of the absence of a positive role model. I mean, how do you learn to be a parent? I don't know about the rest of you, but when our children began to arrive, they didn't come with a manual. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get a manual. How how do you learn how to be a dad? How do you learn how to be a mom? If your father was verbally abusive as you were growing up, you know what? you're likely to default to that at one time or another because what we observed in our family of origin is very powerful. We learn more about parenting from observation than we do from instruction. If your father was emotionally aloof and struggled relationally, then you're probably beginning with a bit of a handicap in that regard and you're probably gonna struggle relationally too unless you learn differently. Scripture says the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and fourth generations. It's true that we tend to emulate what we experienced. But the good news is we don't have to be stuck in those old cycles. We can break those generational patterns. And by God's grace and power, we can change and become better. But it's true. We begin with a sort of handicap when our role models were less than stellar. Now, you may recall when we began this series, we talked about the fact that Samuel, as a young boy, probably between 6 and 12, became a very young intern in the priesthood. His mom brought him to the tabernacle left him there for this intense internship, and he was mentored by the priest Eli. Eli was a wonderful man. He was a godly priest, but as a dad, he was pretty passive. And his sons grew up to be scoundrels. They didn't have any discipline. 
So in all fairness to Samuel, he didn't get started with a positive role model as a father. Now, I I think all parents ought to make it as a goal to be better parents to your children than your parents were to you. I think that just ought to be a goal. No matter what your experience was growing up, we all ought to make it a goal as Christian parents to be better parents to our children than our parents were to us. And we need to make it a goal to break out of some of those destructive or not so positive patterns in our family of origin. My dad has been dead now for 35 years. He passed away long ago when I was in college. And there are many things about my father that I really admired and respected. He was an incredibly hard worker and he passed that ethic on to me. He was a man of truthfulness. He told the truth. I never knew of him to lie. He uh, believed in putting in a good hard day's work. He believed in caring and providing for his family. Uh, He was faithful to my mom for all the years that they were married. There are so many positive things about my dad. But uh, my dad also had some serious weaknesses and inadequacies as a father. One thing is he never came to a single ball game that I played over many years, never came to a single game, although he knew that was very important to me. I never recall him showing any affection and tenderness toward my mom or to me or to my siblings. And he never, that I can recall, said, I love you. So as a young Christian man growing up, I vowed that I was going to be different. I vowed I would embrace and emulate the positive traits of my dad, but not continue the negative ones. By God's power, I wanted to break out of that cycle. So I constantly tell my children, daily, I love you. I constantly show emotional support for them. I was at every significant event in their lives if I could possibly be there. Again, just trying to break the old patterns. And I'm so happy that God has allowed me by his grace to get out of that generational cycle because we always stand on the shoulders of our parents. I admire so many of you who have been doing that effectively. You didn't begin with a great role model, quite frankly, but I have watched you. I know your story, dads, and I know that many of you have tried to learn a new way. And you said, by God's grace, I don't want to repeat those old patterns. And thanks be to God, the old things are passing away because you're a new creature in Christ. Christ can help us overcome the lack of a positive role model. That ought to be encouragement to every dad listening to me right now. But I think a second challenge that Samuel had as a dad was he was parenting within a corrupt culture. Now, God, our Father, is very aware that we're influenced by the environment around us. Let me give you one biblical example of that. Deuteronomy 14, verse 21, has a strange command. It says, do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. 
That's one of many weird little commandments, at least to our ears, as we read them in the Old Testament. And we can't understand that until we realize that it was a part of the Canaanites' ritual of sacrificing to their false idols. So God, as the father to his children, the Israelites established these laws, these guidelines to keep them from being negatively influenced by the corrupt culture all around them. By the way, the last verse in the book of Judges puts it like this. It says there was no king in the land. Every one did what was right in his own eyes. What a commentary on the culture of that day. But I believe that that describes in many ways the culture in which we live today. Some of you as parents have been candid with me and said, you know what, it scares me. It honestly just kind of unnerves me to think about raising children in a world like this, a world of incredible violence, just as we've seen this week. Unconscionable killing and violence that just staggers our imagination, the wickedness of it all. And you think about raising children in a culture, in a world where people seem to increasingly want to do what's right in their own eyes. One of Satan's strategies, I believe, is to try to convince Christian fathers that there's really no war being waged at all. It's no big deal. Don't be too concerned. Fathers, I speak to you truthfully today. I say you should probably think of yourselves in many ways, as a platoon leader. Literally in battle, leading your families through hostile territory, navigating them safely around landmines and always needing to be on the watch against surprise attacks from the enemy. The New York Times, not long ago, revealed a study where they compared the fears of children 20 years ago to the fears of children today. I find this Interesting. 20 years ago, the fears of children were loud noises, dark rooms, high places, and dangerous animals. Today, the fears of children are parents getting divorced, getting abducted by a stranger, being molested, and a new one that's appeared, fear of a terrorist attack. We need to make our homes a safe place where children feel it's like a sanctuary of security because we're parenting in the midst of a very corrupt culture. I remember when our kids were very young, one day Allie came home from elementary school and she was kind of puzzled and she asked what divorce meant. We never talked about that in our home. We Never, she had never been exposed to that, and one of her little classmates had told her that her parents, her mom and dad, were divorced, and Allie wanted to know what that meant. And as we explained it to her in terms that we felt a second grader could understand, I remember just watching her face as for the first time she realized that, you know, it might be possible for a mom and a dad to stop living together. And it seemed like a very scary thought to her. Listen, parents, when your kids see you hugging, when they see you kiss one another and be affectionate and compliment one another and so on, your your kids may go, ew, 
you know, like watching that has scarred them forever. But it probably makes them feel secure. Because a deep message is being sent, mommy loves daddy, daddy loves mommy, we're a family, we're gonna be together. It makes them feel safe and secure. One of the best ways you can protect your kids today in this culture is to help empower them and teach them it's okay to be a bit different. It's okay to stand alone and be countercultural. When I was growing up on a farm in Tennessee, one of the things that I resented as a young man was that I didn't get to do a lot of things my friends did. Boy, this bugged me. I was growing up working on the farm, spending most of my time there, doing very few things socially. About the only thing I did was go to church, go to school, go to church, go to school, go to church, go to school as a young teenager. And uh, I didn't have the cool clothes and the stylish haircuts that many of my friends had. Couldn't afford it. My dad had some clippers, and that's how I got my hair cut. He wasn't a very good cosmetologist, let me tell you. And so I felt embarrassed when I got on the bus and I had a new haircut from my dad. It just, I, I sometimes remember just blushing with embarrassment at how my hair probably looked. I was, I was insecure about that. And on Monday, the kids would ask, why weren't you at the party Saturday night? And I'd have to explain, well, my parents wouldn't let me go. And so I felt kind of ostracized all through high school, just like I didn't really fit in. And some of you know exactly that feeling. You know what I'm talking about. But here's the interesting thing. In retrospect, as I look back today, as much as I disliked it then, number one, it didn't destroy me to stand alone and be different even on little social, social things like that. But also, it actually gave me courage over time. It gave me confidence that I didn't have to be like everybody else. I didn't have to just blend in with everything and every little trend that was going on. And over time, I realized it actually was making me more popular. Now, follow this. Even though I wasn't at the parties, I wasn't fitting in with what everybody was doing. People actually respected that, and they saw it as a courageous thing. In fact, when I was a senior in high school, 17 years old, I don't think I've ever shared this with you guys. I was voted by my classmates and teachers as Mr. Lawrence County High School. Would you look at this picture? I mean, there I am. There's the non-party goer right there. Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence County High School, the greatest honor you could receive, okay? So as you can see, I was big stuff in Lawrence County, Tennessee, let me tell you. But you know, the weird thing is, just five years later, I looked like this. So maybe it did scar me after all. Whatever you may believe about that picture, I just want to say that is just wrong. That is just wrong. Let me tell you. 
Now, here's why I make a big deal of that, because I see some Christian parents who feel this almost paranoia. They go out of their way to make sure their kids are just like all the other kids, that they blend in with everybody. One of the gifts that Christian parents can give to their kids is the courage to stand alone sometimes. Empower your children. Let them know God will give them the strength when it's appropriate to be different. You can't help but wonder if a third challenge for Samuel was just plain busyness. Now, most dads I know can identify with this, right? Most dads I know wear a number of different hats, but Samuel, wow, he could have a whole closet of hats. I mean, this guy had a lot of responsibilities. He was a judge, he was a prophet, he was a priest, he was the man during the extreme time of transition. He was very busy. Now, here's something I know about the average man. Now, if this is not true of you, hey, God bless you. But the average man gets a great deal of his identity from his job. A great, great part of your self-esteem, your sense of who you are, comes from your vocation, your career. And so it's so important that dads understand that they have to shift gears and work when it's time to work and when it's time to be a family guy, to, to show affection to the family and attention there, that they be fully present. Dad's one of the greatest ways you can do that is through your words. Do you understand, fathers, the power of your words to shape? I've occasionally been out in public around the capital region, and you know, you see these family scenes unfold, and sometimes they're wonderful, and and sadly, sometimes they're very awkward and sort of gut-wrenching, and you'll hear a dad reaming out a child just all over him. People all around hearing this. The child knows it. And I just sometimes want to walk up and tap that dad on the shoulder and go, do you understand the damage you're doing by verbally devastating your child like that? Proverbs 18, 21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. So dads, be very careful with your words. But I think a second powerful way that you as dads, and there are many, and it's important that you understand your child's love language and what's meaningful to them. But for almost all kids, the way you spell love is a four-letter word, T-I-M-E. And one of the reasons that so many kids spend hours in front of a computer and the TV is because it's always available. It's never too busy for them. They did a recent study of National Honor Society students to try to quantify what was different about these kids who excelled. They were trying to find that common thread of these young people who excelled academically. And they found the common thread with National Honor Society students is that they ate together as a family with their parents in the evenings. Somehow, that was just, that just stood out. 
as one of those incredibly common threads in the story, I would challenge you to try to spend some quality time together as families, have meals together, and if it can't be in the evening, try to make sure it happens some other time. There's so many different things going on. I know that's tough, but let your home be a haven where your family really gels together as a family. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, be very, very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's kind of hard to make the most of every opportunity when your schedule is crammed with frenetic busyness and often things that aren't even really, honestly, all that important. Well, there's a fourth thing I want to mention that could have been a serious challenge for Samuel that hampered him in passing the baton on to his children, and that is success at work. According to the Mutual Life Insurance Company, parents rate their inability to spend time with their children as the number one threat to families. Now, that sounds very wonderful and noble. But the study goes on to say that two-thirds of those surveyed said they would accept a job that required more time away from home if it offered higher income or greater prestige. Bottom line, too many of us are willing to sacrifice family on the altar of business and financial advancement. Now, I believe that when a father is successful at business or in in his his workplace, sometimes it puts this incredible uh, stress on children. Kids may feel like, wow, I'll never measure up to that. I'll never be good enough. I'll never reach those kinds of levels of success. And, and I know that gets real complex. And, and dads, you, you can't help that. You may not try to project that on your children. I, I'm just telling you what I think is a reality with many dads who are deemed as successful. And sadly, when we're successful in the workplace, I, I think it kind of complicates success at home. Pastor Dave Stone grew up as a pastor's kid. Today, Dave is a pastor of a very effective, wonderful church in Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church. He's a great dad, a great leader. And he tells of a time when he was a little kid and the telephone rang and Dave answered it. And it was for his dad. It was a pastor of a very large church and he wanted Dave's dad to come and speak at a special meeting. Dave said, uh, I listened through the wall as I continued to play in the other room. Dave Stone says he could hear by the course of the conversation that this was an invitation for his dad to speak at a very special service at this big church. Dave says, and I quote, I could just hear the excitement in his voice. Then I heard my dad say the date. He said, February 3rd. Let me go check my calendar. Then he went bounding up the steps to get his little pocket calendar. Dave says, I knew that February 3rd 
what it was. February 3rd was the day I was in a special program at my school coming up in about a month and a half. Dad came down the steps and from the other side of that wall, I could hear him flipping through the pages as his voice got more animated, more excited. And then I heard the pages stop turning. I heard my dad say, February 3rd, February 3rd, you know, I already have something on that night. And Dave Stone says, and his dad said, maybe we can do it another time. And then Dave Stone says, and you know what my dad was communicating without him even knowing it? My son is a whole lot more important to me than speaking at any big church. So dads, let me just ask you a question. What difference, what positive impact would it make on your family if you took all of the passion, the energy, and creativity that you exert at work and actually brought that to your family. Wow. What difference might that make? Someone put it like this. Success is failure if you succeed at the wrong thing. George McGovern was a one-time presidential candidate. And his daughter, Terry, died tragically at She froze to death in a snowbank. 1994, she had fallen into that in a a drunken stupor. And the weeks following Terry's death, George McGovern poured through her diaries and journals trying to find out what had happened. And he discovered that he was not quite the dad that he thought he was. While he'd been spending 18 hours a day fighting for political causes, his daughter Terry was at home writing in her diary about how she missed her daddy. McGovern writes this advice to parents. He says, show more love to your kids by spending time with them, no matter what it costs, no matter what it costs your career. That way, neither of you will have regrets. He said, I'd give everything, and I mean everything, for one more afternoon with Terry, just to tell her how much I love her, and have one of those happy times we used to have all too infrequently. Men, what do you profit if you gain the whole world and lose your own family? Samuel evidently lost his family. Maybe it was because he didn't have a good role model to begin with. Maybe it was because the culture was so corrupt and bad company just tends to corrupt good character. Maybe it was because he was so busy or maybe it was because he was so successful, his sons just felt they could never measure up and they gave up. But you know what? I think there's one more fact we need to remember as we're evaluating Samuel's role as a father and ours. And this is very, very important. Remember, every child is born with free will. In other words, his son made choices. His sons made choices to do evil. Now, you know what? We're making a good number of conjectures today because, again, as I said, Scripture doesn't tell us explicitly why they didn't walk in their father's ways. But maybe, just maybe, he was an awesome dad. Maybe he told them every day he loved them. Maybe he had a fabulous relationship with their mom. 
Maybe he was emotionally supportive. Perhaps he went to all of their harp recitals and all their bow and arrow matches. Maybe he was a stellar father. But somewhere along the line, his boys got with the wrong crowd and they chose to rebel against everything their dad had taught them. Samuel discovered what wise parents discover today. Children are not robots. They have a will of their own and a mind of their own and they must make choices. The Bible says we will each give an account of ourselves to God. Haven't you seen it? Haven't you seen kids growing up in the best of homes who just became rotten and vice versa? Kids who grew up in rotten homes who somehow turned out to be saintly. One of the leaders I respect in our area has three sons. Two of them are men of integrity. They are literally models of Christian character. But the third son, growing up in the very same family, same mom and dad, has been in trouble since he was very young. He grew up strong-willed. He had trouble in school, trouble in the neighborhood, started abusing drugs and alcohol, been in and out of prison. You would never know these boys are from the same mom and dad. He's brought unbelievable pain to his parents, and yet, same atmosphere. I think whoever said all men are created equal probably only had one child. And I really think it's important for fathers to remember that children are born with free will. Now, why am I saying this? Some of you parents listening to me right now need to get freed up. Hear me today. Hear me. Please listen. You need to get freed up because you're carrying a bunch of guilt around that you should not carry. You're blaming yourself for poor choices that your children have made. Sometimes we beat ourselves up and go, where did I go wrong? Would you remember this? God, the perfect parent, had kids who went off the deep end. Adam and Eve rebelled against him because they chose to listen to the voice of the evil one. And it wasn't the heavenly father's fault that they chose that road. You, you need to take it easy on yourself. Now, at this point, some new Bible student will always come along and go, well, pastor, don't you know what the Bible says? Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart. It's all on the parents. If you just put in some prayer and take them to church and make sure they're in the right school and the right influence, God says it'll all turn out wonderful. That's a proverb not a promise. Big difference. Proverbs also says the soft answer turns away wrath, 
do you honestly think that means? That God is saying, if you just respond kindly and softly to someone when they're furious with you, I will come down and twist their arm behind their back and I will force them to respond kindly back to you. Obviously not. Proverbs are statements about how life generally works. They're not individual promises from God. And parents, we need to remember that. We may have done all we could feasibly and reasonably do, but that is no promise that God's going to take our children's free will away. Some of you have children right now who are in their younger years. They're not walking in their father's ways. Don't give up on them. Don't stop praying for them. Don't cut them out of the will yet, all right? And don't burn any bridges. I've seen it over and over again. Many children who are in rebellion right now in years to come will come back and be faithful to the Lord. So be like the father of the prodigal son who was waiting and watching for his son to come back. So Samuel had two sons who were living the lives of fools from God's vantage point. But Samuel was not a failure as a person. God regarded his life as a success and he's held up in scripture as a tremendous servant of God. So on this Father's Day weekend, let me say to you, dads, we honor you. And let me say to the wives and the moms in here, would you honor your husband? Would you honor the dad that is in your life? And let me say to children, would you respect and honor your father, not just this weekend, but every day that goes by in the future? Being a dad is a tough task. It's very difficult. And we want to honor our dads today. In fact, I want to end this message by just praying for you. If you could help me out all at all of our locations, I'd like to ask the dads, if you're a dad, any age, your children may be living, not living, doesn't matter. Would you stand up if you're a dad today? Would you just stand and remain standing so I can pray for you for just a moment? Awesome, awesome dads, thank you for standing. Could we just celebrate and honor these dads right now? Wow, men, we honor you. Thank you so much. And I'd like to pray this prayer for you. Can we bow our heads as we close our service? Father, I thank you for this moment of consecration. And I pray for every man in this assembly today. I know that there are some who are trying to overcome the influence of a poor model. Give them power and wisdom to break those generational cycles. I pray for them to be models of spiritual leadership in their own households, God. And we do pray, Father, for every man in this place to be like a watchman on the wall to protect his family from the influences of the culture. I pray for every man to be sensitive to the pressures at work and the pressures of success and the need to make home and family a priority from the standpoint of time. And Lord, we want to present our lives as living sacrifices to you. 
We pray that we would be spiritual point men and not spiritual foot draggers in our homes. I thank you, Father, for these moments to recommit ourselves to this priority. And we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.